Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Story. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm not actually saying this was Bigfoot. I just don't know what else to call it. You be the judge. It was a couple of years ago, I was 18 maybe 19. It was November of 2012, it was pretty cold outside. Some friends of mine called me to see if I wanted to go hang out, not really do anything in particular. Just chill. It sounded fun, and I was bored, so I went along. It was me and three of my friends. We went down the highway for a little while not knowing where we would end up until one of my friends mentioned a dirt road he knew of not too far from where we were, we eventually found it and started down it. Not too much later, maybe 5 minutes we came across a house. None of us knew if it was abandoned, even though it looked like it, or if it was occupied. My friend that knew about the road we had just came down said last thing he heard no one lived there. So we figured getting out of the car and having a cigarette and just enjoying the cold air wouldn't be a problem. We were leaning up against an abandoned looking car that was sitting in what would have been the driveway I suppose, just hanging around talking and smoking. It was quiet, and dark. That kind of quiet that's just a tad bit uncomfortable. I was about halfway done smoking when my friend quiets everyone down. None of us made a sound thinking perhaps someone did live in the house and he saw them, I was ready to bail. But no, no people at all. He points to the left side of the house, and there in the dark, we all saw whatever this thing was. It was darker than the sky behind it, and it was tall. It must have been at least 8 feet tall, and you could see hair all over its body. Everyone stood, shocked I suppose at what was standing before us, a mere 15 feet from us. I knew everyone was thinking the same thing, get out of there, right now. Before anyone could say anything, it sprinted, not just came at us, but it went from dead still to a full-on sprint in a second. We somehow managed to get into the car without it getting to us, we took off before all the doors were even closed. Everybody but our friend driving looked back as we sped off, I remember seeing it, still sprinting at the car full speed almost catching up to us. It was running right toward the abandoned car we had been leaning on previously, instead of running around it, it vaulted it. Jumped straight over the thing as if it wasn't even there. I was petrified. We didn't stop driving until we got to my friend's apartment. Miles and miles away from where we saw that thing. To this day I still don't know what it was, and haven't seen anything else of it since then. But I remember it, standing there menacingly like it did back then. Bigfoot may be far-fetched, but I don't know what else it could have been. So, I have quite a bit of stories to share with you. First, let me introduce myself. You can call me Bill. I used to work in the ranger services in North Carolina back in the early to mid-2000s. This was one of the very first search and rescue cases I'd ever been on. We were looking for a missing hiker. We ended up having to go deep into the beginning of the Pisgah National Forest in this section. It's really dark, 
There's a lot of woods and a lot of foliage, especially at night when it is so dark and covered. Even moonlight has a hard time breaking through. But it wasn't like anything had actually happened yet. We were pretty sure that this was just simply a case of a hiker who had gotten turned around and put in circles. We found him luckily alive and he claimed that there were others out there with him and that he was not by himself. We asked him if he had been hiking with anybody else who'd also gone missing. That's not what he meant. That there were other things out there in the night. The other search and rescue guy with us claimed that he saw this large ape-like creature stalking us. Apparently, it had long hair and a long whip lizard-like tail. The guy was fine but still very, very creepy. Another story I have to share with you is from a good friend. His grandmother's from England and one of my earliest memories of her is telling me about seeing Bigfoot. She was in the Scottish Highlands with her family back around the 1920s and they were on their way to a local small town when she sees this creature. She said it was tall and covered in dark hair, also walked up like a wild hairy man. She thought it was some farmer playing a trick but soon realized by the speed and power in which it moved, this was a real life thing. Back then they had no concept of a Bigfoot, but they knew they were real creatures, something that really lived. Although she kept referring to it as a wild hairy man and not a Bigfoot. I guess this Bigfoot creature chased after her before nearly trying to kill the horse. Another story is told to me by another ranger who worked in the Smoky Mountains. He'd been assigned to one of the ranger stations way back behind the Catalachi. He said it was a very slow night, he'd been in the station for about an hour and he hears this deep, weird kind of coughing noise right outside, like something really big was trying to clear its throat of phlegm. He peeks out the window and sees what looked like a large Bigfoot but standing up on its hind legs looking right at him. My buddy didn't stick around long enough to see if it would come inside. That's one of the times where you wish you had your gun with you and ready to go. Alright, the final story I'll share is by far the most disturbing. I still get chills thinking about it. This happened to me while we were doing a search for some lost hikers. This was in West Virginia's North region. We had helicopter support on this one. We were having trouble finding any sign of them at all. They'd been out there less than 24 hours, things weren't looking that great. We had a few trackers with us and they were always able to pick up on little bits of information that the rest of us had missed. One of us was going over the helicopter's footage when he said he saw something in the trees. We made our way over there to where he was pointing and sure enough, this large snouted creature began picking its way through the underbrush. He said it looked at the chopper once before disappearing back into the woods, trying to stay out of the light. This thing started screaming this strange guttural language at us and then kind of just vanished. That's easily the one SAR case I'll probably never forget. My sighting of these giants happened back in 1996 when my unit was sent on a secret mission to the Hindu Kush mountains of Afghanistan. The purpose of our mission is irrelevant, but it has been declassified now, so I do have permission to tell you. We took off from Bagram Air Base just before dawn with another special ops team that were all Navy SEALs. They were flying on their own special ops chopper. Well, we flew in a Chinook helicopter supplied solely by the Army. 
We had to fly over some fairly high mountains to get into the valley that was our original destination. It was still dark at this time, so it wasn't until we got almost halfway through these mountains when I saw something strange ahead of us. There was a huge bright light flying through the air towards us. I couldn't tell if it was another chopper by the way it was flying, at least at this distance, no aircraft lights were visible, so I knew it wasn't one of ours either. Even stranger was that this object didn't have any sound coming from it. As it approached us and came closer, it was a dull grey color and looked very strange, as it seemed to glow almost. I remember being curious about what this could be. I did not have a radio on me, so I could not say anything to my co-pilot or the other chopper pilot. If this had been a movie, you'd probably think I should have gotten out a rifle and shot it from the sky, but for some strange reason, I just didn't feel scared. I believe it was one of the SEALs who finally yelled over the radio, asking us if we could see what this thing was. Right after he did so, both choppers came very close together. We were flying through a mountain pass, in that instant, I saw a giant humanoid figure down in a ravine in the mountains. Several of these figures, actually, there appeared to be about three of them. I'd say roughly 9 to 10 meters tall, red wild hair, and held primitive like makeshift spear weapons. I only got a few seconds to look, but I know what I saw. The seals were laughing all over the radio when we realized both choppers had almost come together. After that, I was terrified. My imagination ran wild thinking about these giants that had terrified me with their appearance. I have never imagined anything like that in my life to what I saw this day. I don't know what to think about it. I was later on instructed about what I saw to keep my mouth shut, so I did. The way my superiors instructed me to do so was, we simply don't talk about those things, period. And that was the end of that. As the sun cast long shadows across the Arizona landscape, I found myself in a remote forest, determined to make the most of my solo hunt for pheasants. The rustling leaves and chirping birds created a symphony of nature, and the anticipation of a successful hunt surged through me. The forest felt alive, vibrant, and full of potential. As I ventured deeper into the woods, the canopy grew denser, blocking out more and more of the sunlight. The air grew cooler, and the silence was almost overwhelming, save for the occasional snap of a twig beneath my boots. My heart pounded with a mix of excitement and trepidation, it was as if I had entered a different world, one untouched by time and human influence. I followed a narrow path that seemed to have been carved out by the passage of animals. The path twisted and turned, and at times, I had to crouch beneath low-hanging branches. It was then that I noticed a peculiar movement ahead, caught by the corner of my eye. As I advanced cautiously, the sounds of nature were replaced by a strange, hushed stillness. My steps grew slower as I caught sight of the creatures in the distance. My eyes widened in both awe and confusion. There they were, two creatures unlike anything I had ever seen before. The larger one, about seven to eight feet tall, was covered in light beige hair. It stood with its back to me, reaching for a branch about 15 feet off the ground. Its movements were deliberate, almost human-like, and a sense of primal curiosity washed over me. 
The smaller creature, only about three feet tall, mirrored the larger one's appearance, covered in hair, with the exception of its hands, feet, and around its eyes. This one had a darker shade of beige hair, and it was bent over, struggling to pick up a stick and put it in its mouth. The sight was utterly surreal, like stumbling upon a page from a storybook that had been lost to time. The hair on both creatures was thick, their appearance wild and untamed, as if they had emerged from the heart of the forest itself. I squinted, trying to make out the details of their faces, but their features remained largely obscured. The large creature's body was robust and powerful, its form shrouded in a cloak of mystery. My hunting instincts kicked in, and I shouldered my rifle with a practiced ease. I aimed carefully, focusing on the larger creature's back. The trigger was pulled, and the shot echoed through the woods. I watched as the bullet streaked toward its target, only to miss by a hair's breadth. To my astonishment, neither creature flinched at the sound of the gunshot. They seemed to be in a world of their own, completely unaffected by my presence. As the creatures continued their activities, seemingly unfazed, my mind raced to make sense of the situation. What were these creatures? Were they a new species? Or perhaps some forgotten legend brought to life? Doubt and wonder clouded my thoughts, leaving me hesitant to take another shot. Eventually, the creatures melted back into the forest, disappearing as mysteriously as they had appeared. I stood there, my heart pounding in my chest, the echoes of my missed shot fading into the distance. The forest around me returned to its usual symphony, as if it had absorbed the creatures into its evergreen embrace. When I returned to my friends, they bombarded me with questions about my hunt. They were eager to hear about my experiences, the game I had encountered, and my shots fired. But I remained silent, lost in my thoughts. How could I explain what I had witnessed? How could I convey the profound sense of wonder and bewilderment that had washed over me in those quiet woods? Instead of sharing my story, I simply smiled, my mind a whirlwind of thoughts and emotions. Some mysteries are best left untouched, nestled within the heart of the forest, waiting for those rare moments when the boundaries between reality and the unknown blur, leaving us forever questioning what lies beyond. When I was a kid, like, I was 11 or 12, something like that, I was playing in the huge parking lot that was behind my house in North Chicago, Illinois. I had a baseball bat and I was pretending it was a sword. So I was in the parking lot, slashing around, pretending I was fighting bad guys. The parking lot was one huge parking lot and then it had driveways going beside the building out to the main road. So I was fighting in it and I got up to the fence that was on the side of one of the driveways and I did a fancy little slash and then I pretended I sheathed it on my back and then I stood up and I looked down the driveway. I saw myself standing on the sidewalk staring back at me. Of course, I was freaked out because I didn't know what was going on. At first, I thought it was someone who looked just like me and he probably thought the same thing. And then he kind of did a jog down the sidewalk past the building where I couldn't see him anymore. So I ran up and looked around the corner and he was gone. I looked around the parking lot just in case he was looking for me but I couldn't see him. So, creeped out, I decided to head home and I told my father about this and then he told me about doppelgangers. 
I was convinced I saw my own doppelganger. Two or three years later, I'm walking down the sidewalk toward home, and I look down the driveway and I see myself playing in this parking lot doing all the same slashes. I did like the fancy slash and sheathed it. And I was like, I remember this. I remember seeing myself in this position. So without even thinking about it, I dashed off to the front of the building and turned around and I waited for my younger self to come up the driveway. But my younger self never showed up. I looked down the driveway and I was not there. I walked home and I told my father about what I just saw and he laughed. I wonder if seeing a doppelganger is common? My father acted as if it was something that happens to everyone. I'm an adult now, and it's been over a dozen years since that last encounter. I'm just wondering what caused me to see it? Years ago, I had an experience that could have been straight out of an X-Files episode. I used to visit this younger woman at her apartment, who I tutored her in math because I needed the money. We didn't have a relationship or anything like that, but she would stare at me while I talked. Like she wanted to make eye contact rather than look at the formulas. I brushed it off as an attempt at unserious fling from her end, because at the same time she talked about the man in her life who lived abroad. She had told me she was 20 years old and looked the part and went to college, but she would most strangely talk like she had been born 100 years ago or more. But now and here is the weird part, the following was what happened the last day I went to her apartment. I came to her apartment at 2 p.m. As I used to. She opened, and she dressed all in a black tight tracksuit. During the following two hours, her face would become more and more red, while I explained math to her, it was like she was sick or something. Would try to lock her eyes with mine, forcibly. When it came time to leave, then it was the paranormal stuff happened. We were in the hall of her apartment when she suddenly stopped talking, while she was in front of her door, and it was like the size of her eyes changed. Plus, it was like she was trying to hypnotize me, and her eyes became almost vampire, animal-like. Believe it or not, but it was like her face almost changed for seconds, and a grin appeared like it was a demon I was standing in front of. I remember saying I wanted to get out, and after saying it three times, she snapped out of it and came back. I was able to get her to move from the door, and I was able to leave. Some would say who don't believe in the paranormal, they say it was just a weird attempt of sex, and maybe it was? But still to this day, to quote the American lady in the plain video, that mother f wasn't really human. Has anyone here ever experienced something similar? Hello. This incident took place in October 2021 in Rochdale in Greater Manchester, UK. I lived alone after breaking up with my ex. I spent most of my time in the evenings upstairs playing video games and watching YouTube videos. I didn't really have much of a social life but that was okay with me. I'd never felt uneasy in my own house until the time when this incident took place. I would walk into the kitchen at night to make a drink. My kitchen window looks out at my overgrown garden which in turn overlooked the woods. It's a rural neighborhood and it is very quiet at night which makes it a friendly environment for some wildlife to come out. I would often see foxes and deer. At night, 
When the lights are on I can barely see more than a few feet ahead of the window as it acts sort of like a mirror. On this particular night the few feet ahead of me that I could see was all this thing needed to make itself visible to me. I hadn't noticed it until I looked up and out of the window after making my drink. It was a bipedal creature, skinny but quite tall with hind legs and no hair. It sounds ridiculous to mention this but it looks similar to the werewolf lupine transformed into the prisoner of Azkaban movie, only taller and more humanoid. Its mouth was tiny but protruded, similar to a canine's. It had no ears from what I could see. It just stood there looking at me with these completely white tiny eyes. Its head was tilted to the side and its bottom jaw was slightly gaped. I didn't know how long it had been there. I was in the kitchen for about a minute before I even bothered to look out the window. I just froze. You'd think you can rationalize what you do in a situation like this but I was frozen in terror. I was thinking myself to move but my body felt icy cold. After like 15 seconds, even though it felt much longer, I managed to move and ran out of the room not daring to take my eyes off the creature. As I did so its head rotated to follow me as I ran to the comforts of the upstairs. After all this time, I still have not gone into my kitchen at night, except for a few necessary occasions. I prepare everything I need before it gets dark and then stay upstairs for the rest of the night. If I absolutely need to go into the kitchen I'll rush in so that I can get out ASAP. You know that feeling you get when you turn all the lights off before you have to go back upstairs and feel like you're going to be chased by some unknown entity? That's the feeling I get when I need to go into my kitchen at night. To this day, I know instinctively that the werewolf creature is still watching me. My current boyfriend believes I'm imagining the beast, but he won't go out at night when he visits. I have asked people who I trust to offer their opinions about this creature but I know that none of them really believe me. I have considered moving, but I love this house. After my father's passing on August 8th, an inexplicable occurrence transpired last night. I penned the following account immediately at around 5 a.m., with minor revisions to address punctuation and grammatical errors. I had dozed off on my mother's living room couch, the TV droning on. I had tucked my phone beneath my pillow, resting under my head. Roughly an hour seemed to have elapsed when I sensed my phone vibrating, as if a call was incoming. I groggily glanced at the screen, and Peanut was the caller. With a drowsy hello? I answered. A voice came through, laden with static but unmistakably my father's, exclaiming his signature hey. In a tone of slight amazement, as if surprised it had worked. Overwhelmed, I muttered, oh my god, hey. He explained that his phone was malfunctioning or unresponsive, leading him to dial from Peanut's phone. He shared, I've been trying to call everyone. I just wanted to tell you I love you and I'm safe, he continued, mentioning a room number, 4. The digits were 3 and initiated with a 4. I reciprocated the sentiment, expressing my love and relief at his safety. I requested him to repeat the room number due to the static and the TV's blaring volume. He echoed the I love you and I'm safe, followed by the room number, which once again got muffled by interference and the TV's clamor. Concluding with an I love you too, Dad, I don't recall the call's conclusion, 
but I woke up in the exact environment for my dream, bewildered by the events. A few additional details, his voice carried a semblance of his sickly tone, though improved. The TV program was family feud prior to my slumber, transitioning into an infomercial, persisting into my dream, and resuming upon my awakening. The identity of Peanut remains a mystery within my family circle. Me, 19 male, and my friend, 19 newbie, were walking home from a walk out to in and out at around 10 to 11 something p.m. We decided to take a cut through that runs by a local food co-op and some railroad tracks situated behind the food co-op. The cut through would lead you straight to the railroad tracks behind the food co-op. As we approached the food co-op I saw the silhouette of what looked like a man leaning or hunched over. Almost like how in some zombie media the zombies sleep hunched over while standing up or sort of like how some people on heavy amounts of opioids look as they're nodding off while standing up. Its head, face was facing the ground at a slant and its back was ever so slightly slumped, arched. At first I was just confused about why a man would just be hunched in front of the railroad tracks like that. Other than that I oddly enough thought nothing of it. I might have been a bit zoned out as I struggle with mental illness and I often zone out. Sometimes to the point where I just forget where I'm walking and whoever I'm walking with at the time has to direct me where to go. The meds don't help with not being all there mentally either. Although when working effectively they'll either reduce or completely suppress the chatter in my head that makes me zone out. Once it started to move into the light I gradually started to realize something was off about it. I forget if it was moving in an odd way or not but it just seemed off, this is when I started to realize something wasn't right. The figure had its arms stretched upward in a weird way. It looked lanky and its arms looked longer than they should be. Its proportions were just off. It looked semi-dark grayish. Once I saw the figure's arms, long, outstretched upwards and moving in an unnatural way. I paused for a second then told my friend to book it. Pretty sure I also yelled cryptid, and we booked it to the part of the street that intersected with the closest street away, parallel from the street the co-op was on. I looked back in the direction the figure was first seen. It began approaching a person on a bike who was biking slowly in a sort of aimless way. Slow to the point that he couldn't keep the bike steady and was sort of swerving to keep it upright. The person on the bike didn't seem to react, seemed to care or simply wasn't concerned. At this point the figure was practically on top of the person on the bike and the person on the bike began slowly pedaling in our direction, still swerving to keep it upright at the same slow pace. This actually might have happened before we ran but either way we began walking further away, before we turned the corner the bike changed directions and began heading south down the street that was east of us and by the co-op. The figure's arms were now and had been, since it had approached the bike, outstretched in a weird action figure-like stance with its upper arm slanted forwards, downwards, and slightly outward and its forearms extending directly forwards. I wonder why the guy on the bike wasn't phased. For all I know the figure was actually just a person in poor lighting. Or perhaps the guy on the bike was going slowly as he feared the figure would chase him if he went too fast too quickly. My friend thinks the figure was just a guy carrying water for the guy on the bike but they stated that they never saw much of the figure whereas I noticed it more. 
something doesn't seem right about that explanation. I couldn't tell if it was wearing clothes or not as the lighting was poor. I caught either light glimmering off its torso or a vague impression of a bluish shirt. But given the figure's proportions and the way it held something was off. The whole carrying water for bike guy theory doesn't seem right as it was just hunched over by the train tracks before it approached the guy on the bike and it seemed to wander aimlessly around before approaching the guy on the bike. It seemed taller than normal for most humans too but that could have just been my imagination. There's a story I've been wanting to tell for a while now, that happened to me some years ago. Thinking back, it gives me the chills. For the sake of anonymity for those involved, I've changed our names, but the dates are accurate. For clarity's sake, I'm not a believer in the paranormal or the supernatural or any myths and legends. I'm still not sold on what happened, but it's creepy enough when I consider all the facts. I do apologize for the length, but I want to get all this out in one fell swoop. You see, my cousins live back in northern Wisconsin, the rural part, where houses are surrounded by miles of woods and the roads are dirt and gravel. Not that they're out in the boonies or anything, the main town, though small, is only about 5 miles down the highway from where they live. My uncle, let's call him Kurt, he's the local sheriff of the area and so has lots of interesting stories to tell. My cousins, having grown up in these woods, are expert hunters and fishermen. They've hunted at all hours of the day, in all kinds of weather, and have tracked anything from deer and pheasants to bears. What I'm trying to say is, they don't scare easy. Neither do their hunting dogs, two black Labradors called Magic and DJ. I've never been easy to scare either, no has my brother, but what we experienced was enough to give us all the heebie-jeebies. Even 10 years later, remembering these events is enough to give me chills. There had been strange occurrences over the years, none of which my brother nor I were aware of until we visited them one summer, back in 2006. Now, my mom, my brother, and I usually visited them for at least a week or two every year up until Rob, who was three years older than my brother, left for college. We never experienced anything out of the ordinary until that year, and haven't experienced anything since. What happened, though? has stayed with us all. My brother Mike and I weren't made aware of these happenings until we'd experienced enough to convince Uncle Kurt to share what he knew. Rob and Sam, who was one year older than me and a year younger than Mike, also chipped in with their own experiences. I'm chronicling our tales here, in order, as best as I can remember. 1998, Rob was about seven years old at this time. One night, he snuck into the backyard to play on the old swing set they had set up. My cousin's backyard is surrounded by an 8-foot-high chain-link fence to keep bears and other predators out, and to keep the kids in. After swinging for a few minutes, Rob said he remembered hearing the most horrible noise he's ever heard, like something out of a horror movie. It was a distant roar, like some kind of huge beast, deep and brassy with an animalistic rumble but at the same time screechy, like fingernails on a blackboard. Terrified, Rob fled back inside, screaming for his parents. They, apparently, had slept through the noise and had only awoken when they heard Rob scream. Approximately 2005, 
Kurt was finishing his patrol one night when he received a call from dispatch. Apparently, a local man had left his home early that morning to go fishing at one of the many lakes around town, promising his wife to be back around lunchtime. When he still hadn't returned by evening, his wife worriedly called the police. Once informed of which lake he'd gone to, Kurt and a couple squad cars headed to the narrow dirt trail that led off from the highway. It was a small turnoff, easy to miss if you didn't know it was there, surrounded on both sides by dense foliage and trees. It took maybe 10 minutes to get from the highway to the lake, as you had to drive very slowly on the dirt path to avoid potholes, branches, and occasionally animals that may be in the road. After a few minutes on the trail, the officers came upon the man's car, spun out from the trail and smashed against a tree several feet into the woods. The entire passenger side was caved in, as if something had rammed into the car at high speed and shoved it into the tree. There was blood and tufts of hair all over the inside of the car and the driver's seatbelt was ripped out of the buckle, and the windshield was completely gone. It was as if the man had been wrenched through the windshield and dragged away, but the police couldn't find any trail even after bringing in canines. The only evidence pointing towards an animal attack rather than a murder was a set of claw marks gouged into the metal hood of the car. Experts determined it must have been a very angry bear, but no bears had been sighted, let alone reported, during that season. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The man's body never turned up. August 9th, 2006, Sam and Mike, on the second night we were visiting, decided to try camping out in the backyard. Despite the fence, our aunt insisted they take at least one of the dogs into the tent with them just to be safe, so they took Magic, the older lab. Magic had been very well trained and was usually very quiet, but sometime in the middle of the night she became incredibly agitated. She began barking, quietly at first, but soon much louder. This is when Sam and Mike woke up. They told me that Magic would bark for several seconds, then fall quiet, not even growling, then start barking again. After repeating this several times, the two of them started hearing rustling from somewhere beyond the fence. They were camped somewhat near the house, so whatever was capable of making that much noise had to be huge. They stayed quiet, Sam warning Mike that if it was indeed a bear, any sudden movement may cause it to charge and that fence wouldn't keep it out for long. However, despite Magic's ferocious barking, the rustling kept getting louder. Just as Sam was about to take the flashlight to try and see anything, our Aunt Kelly opened the side door and bellowed at Magic to shut up. Kelly, despite being a relatively frail woman, was incredibly loud and forceful, to the point that even Magic was somewhat scared of her. Apparently, whatever was in the woods was too, because the rustling soon faded and Magic fell quiet. Neither Sam nor Mike were able to fall asleep again, 
because a couple hours later, the rustling started again. Magic didn't make any more noise, but she stayed on high alert, standing stiff with her tail between her legs, staring at the front of the tent. Sam said the rustling would die down occasionally, then start up from a different direction, as if whatever was out there was circling the house and trying to bait someone to come out. Around 4 in the morning, completely exhausted, Sam and Mike finally drifted off. When Kurt came outside around 7 to wake them, he sounded. Strange, as Sam put it. When the two of them climbed out of the tent, they saw why. A section of the fence had been bent at the top, peeled outward as if something had grabbed it and tried to pull it down. Not even a bear would have been tall or brave enough to do this. Needless to say, they packed up the tent and slept inside for the rest of the visit. August 10, 2006, after the initial scare of the previous night had passed and Kurt spent the day patrolling the woods around the house for several hundred yards in all directions with both Magic and DJ, he determined whatever had visited the night before was gone. That evening, Mike and I were invited to paintball with Kurt, Sam, and Rob for a few hours. Being hunters, the three of them were very good at this, and Mike and I both had minimal experience. I declined, preferring to stay on the balcony and do some target practice with my other cousin Claire, who is two years younger than me. The four of them disappeared into the woods, and soon all we heard was the popping of the paintball guns and the occasional shout of joy or pain whenever one of them pegged another. Now, I heard and saw nothing, but when Kelly cut the game short a couple hours later when she called for Kurt to help her clean up after DJ threw up all over the carpet, Mike went directly up to me and told me something that chilled me to the bone. At one point in the game, he'd been trying to circle behind Rob to peg him a good one when he saw movement out of the corner of his eye. Thinking it had been Sam or Kurt, Mike had crouched in a bush as the thing approached. As it got closer, he decided it was Kurt since the shape appeared to be very tall, Kurt is 6'4", and took aim. However, as it continued to approach him, Mike noticed it appeared to be wearing something shaggy akin to a ghillie suit, and it took him a second to realize that none of them were wearing anything that resembled that. For those of you who don't know, ghillie suits are those shaggy camouflage uniform soldiers wear to disguise themselves among bushes. Unnerved, Mike was debating on whether to shoot at it or not when he heard Kelly calling. As Sam, Rob, and Kurt began making their noisy way back towards the house, the shape disappeared back into the darkness. He didn't bring this up with the others until we sat down and talked about all of this, and it seriously freaked out Rob, Sam, and Kurt since they hadn't seen or heard anything that night. August 11, 2006, Kurt decided to take us fishing at, you guessed it, the same lake. He was not superstitious in the least, and neither were any of us, so despite the creepy encounters over the past couple days we were willing to chalk it up to wild animals and Mike and me not being used to the woods. So, the six of us hitched up the boat trailer, piled into Kurt's truck, and headed out. The lake was maybe a 20-minute drive from the highway, not including the time it took to meander from the house to the highway and the highway to the lake. When we finally made it to the turnoff, Kurt drove very slowly as the rain from the past few weeks had made the path very treacherous and full of hidden bumps and ditches. Even going as slow as 10 miles per hour, 
The car bumped and jostled us enough to make our butts sore. Rob and Sam, ever the trackers, were leaning out of the side windows to try and spot any tracks in case they wanted to come back sometime later for hunting. They noted, but didn't mention until later, that all the tracks they saw seemed to be heading away from the lake. When we finally arrived, we split up. Rob, Sam, and Mike climbed into the smaller rowboat and headed off towards the other end of the lake. The lake itself was shaped like an uneven U, the main part being quite large with the smaller part disappearing around a bend and ending at a natural beaver dam. All in all, it takes maybe half an hour to row from one end to the other. While the boys were off doing their own thing, Kurt, Claire, and me jumped into the slightly larger motorboat and hung around the main section of the lake. Fishing was relatively good, as between the three of us over the course of several house we managed to catch seven or eight decent sized fish. Nothing strange had happened up until the sun was just starting to set and we were casting our last few lines. At this time, I caught something truly massive on my line and attempted to reel it in with all I had. Being 12 at the time, I had very little arm strength but I was determined to at least see what I'd caught. Kurt stepped in to help haul it up, thinking I'd either hooked a log or even a muskie, which is like a freshwater barracuda, quite strong and with nasty needle teeth, google it if you want, which were known to be in the lakes around the area. As a precaution in case this happened, all of our rods were strung with dragon line, made especially for fishing in musky territory as it was strong enough that they wouldn't snap the line while struggling on the hook. With Kurt's help, I managed to haul whatever was hooked almost to the surface. The lake water was relatively murky so visibility faded after the first foot or so, but even then the three of us saw something very, very big rising to the surface. At this point Kurt was convinced it was a muskie, as the line was jerking back and forth and a log certainly wouldn't be able to do that. When the shape was maybe four feet from the surface, the line suddenly pulled so sharply I nearly lost my grip on my pole. The top foot of the pole dipped into the water almost straight down as the thing dove, and then, before the rod had a chance to break or be ripped from my hands, the line snapped. That's right, it snapped. The ricochet was almost enough to send me over the other side of the boat, but luckily Claire was there to catch me. Unnerved but not wanting to end the day just yet, Kurt trimmed the line and gave me a new setup. The next thing that happened was soon after, when Kurt hooked a particularly large base on a five-hook lure. While attempting to remove the hooks, the fish was flopping so much that one of the stray hanging hooks caught Kurt's thumb and gave it a pretty nasty slice. Luckily he packed first aid supplies in the tackle box for accidents just like this, but when he dripped antiseptic on the cut he held his hand over the side of the boat, letting the blood dribble into the water. After a few minutes, Claire pointed out a trail of bubbles and ripples on the surface of the water some yards out. It circled our boat slowly a couple times, but soon disappeared. As the sun was now setting enough that Kurt decided to call it a day, he motored us back to the shore and we hitched up the boat to the trailer. While Kurt packed the fishing rods and strung the fish on a line to keep them from flopping out of the truck bed, Claire and I went back down to the shallows to look for frogs as we waited for the boys to return from the other side of the lake. Suddenly, we heard frantic shouting from the other side of the lake. 
Claire and I looked up to see the boy's boat quite literally skimming the water as they blew around the bend and gunning it straight for the shore. I remember thinking since when did they have a motor on that boat? Because Rob was rowing so fast. Sam was shouting at us to get away from the water so they could land the boat, and moderately freaked out at their desperation, Claire and I promptly complied. In doing so, however, I tripped over an old campfire and ended up with a giant log pinning my foot down. Claire wasn't strong enough to lift the log, and by this time the boy's boat had reached the shore in record time. Now, my brother wasn't exactly the strong type either, being only 14, but as soon as the boat hit the sand he leapt out and dragged it up the embankment single-handed, with Rob and Sam still sitting in it. Once the boat was entirely out of the water, Sam jumped out and managed to lift the log clear off my foot while Rob helped Mike and Kurt hitch up their boat. I've honestly never seen any of them more frantic and unnerved, and it scared me. Even Kurt, who didn't fully understand their panic, got the message enough to book it out from the lake. Normally calm and collected, he took the trail much too fast and at several points we were afraid he'd break the hitch and we'd lose the boats. At this time the sun had fully set behind the tree line and it was unsettlingly dark inside the dense foliage. Rob kept turning to look behind us to make sure the boats were still hooked up, but it wasn't until later that I realized he was also keeping an eye out for anything else. The rest of us were looking forward, trying to spot the highway, so Rob was the only one to attest to this but he swears up and down that right as the trail opened onto the highway shoulder and we exited the woods, he saw a huge and hairy arm swing out towards the boat as if trying to grab the fish we'd left in the bottom with the tackle gear. He said it was thick and heavy like a bear's arm, but the elbow was all wrong and it was much too long and high off the ground. He didn't mention this to any of us until several days later, when Mike and I were packing up to head back home. When questioned later, as we prepared the fish for dinner, Sam explained that they'd been exploring the lake for a while. At the very end of the inlet was a huge beaver dam that had been there for quite some time, and they wanted to show Mike what it looked like. When they arrived, however, the dam was demolished. It looked like something very large and very strong had decided to use the logs as scratching posts. Weirded out, they decided to not get any closer and headed back towards the bend before dropping anchor. As the sun began to set and they were finishing up with their last few catches, Mike had hooked a base right in the eye. It bled all the way up to the surface and all over the boat as they took the hook out. They washed the blood out as best they could and prepared to pack up when they noticed the same bubble and ripple trail Claire and I had seen, heading straight for them. Now seriously freaked, Rob had grabbed the oars without another word and booked it back to shore. Between that day and the day we left, the three of them had slowly told Mike and me the previous incidents and encounters, but at this point I had been sure they were just trying to freak us out as a going away present. Kurt finished off our trip by telling us of a local urban legend, one he was convinced we'd encountered for real. Keep in mind, what I'm writing here is from memory and what Kurt told us, so if there are any inaccuracies with geography or historical evidence, that's on him. In his words, the story begins over 200 years ago. A wagon train full of settlers headed west got lost and turned around in the winter snowstorms. Instead of following their path, the settlers ended up going north. 
They came upon a small lake in the middle of northern Wisconsin and decided to make camp there, hoping to ride out the rest of the winter storms rather than risking continuing and getting more lost. They didn't make it, and their story was forgotten for a century before prospective hunters and fishermen came upon the lake hoping for a good place to stake out for the season. After exploring and doing some digging into what appeared to be an old, abandoned campsite, they found the remains. The majority of what they found were animal bones, oxen and horses and other livestock that the settlers would have had with them. However, out of the 150 people estimated to have been part of the wagon train, only about 20-something remains were found. Theories abounded about what could have happened. Some speculated the settlers suffered a similar fate to the Donner Party, forced into cannibalism to survive the brutal winter before moving on once the snow abated. Others wanted to blame a hostile Native American tribe for slaughtering the settlers and taking the bodies back to their lands, but no evidence of this was found either. The local tribe, the Ojibwe, keep in mind, these are Kurt's words so I have no idea how accurate this may be, offered another scenario. They told of a terrible creature, half man and half bear, that stood over 10 feet tall and could swim underwater for hours at a time. It can scent blood from miles away and is incredibly territorial. The tribe had stories about how they sent their strongest and bravest warriors to kill the creature, but none of them ever returned. Most of the older tribesmen refused to speak of it, or even name it. The creature's territory is apparently centered around the lake and radiates for several miles in all directions. The disappearance of the wagon train in the 1800s was the first instance of a large-scale attack. The slaughter of the Ojibwe warriors was the second. Essentially, it's a local native version of Bigfoot, except moderately more terrifying. The natives had a name for it and I'm probably butchering the spelling but I've tried spelling it out phonetically since I've never seen it written anywhere and unfortunately, this seems to be a small enough legend that Google is no help. They call it the Ashwanabi Mukwa. Mike and I laughed it off and all of us parted in good spirits, still not convinced of anything but a little wary, if only subconsciously. August 16, 2006 Kurt and Rob were hunting in the woods shortly after we'd left and happened upon something truly terrifying. They emailed us the next day with the story in this time, pictures. Now, the email began, bears usually mark their territory by clawing trees at the edges of their territory, leaving distinctive markings. However, these markings are rarely seen higher than six or seven feet from the ground. The mark Kurt found? Ten feet off the ground. Remember, he's six foot four. This was the only marking they found in the area, but decided against searching for too long. Clearly, whatever had made a marking that high off the ground was incredibly big and tall, and neither of them were willing to risk running into it. They'd only been in the area for about an hour or so, having driven in and parked the car on a dirt road before heading off to hunt. When they returned to the car, they saw something that scared them so much that to this day, they have not returned to that hunting spot. Over the tracks of their tire were two humongous footprints. One of the photos shows Kurt's foot next to the print for a size comparison, and it's important to not he wears a size 12. Even more disturbing was that to achieve that stride, the thing had to be at least 9 feet tall and walking on two legs, something a bear is not capable of. 
The depth of the holes the claws left behind was enough to scare the daylights out of them. I'm still a skeptic about urban legends and otherworldly, supernatural occurrences, but I know my cousins well enough to know that they would never fake something like this. So, either someone is playing a very elaborate hoax on them, or there is indeed something out there. I'm not saying one or the other. June 2007, a couple just outside of Lac du Flambeau, outside the supposed creature's usual roaming area, reported a vandalism to the local authorities. What baffled the couple and confused the police was their story. Over the course of several days, the couple had attempted to set up elaborate bird feeders hoping to attract birds to photograph. They set up the birdhouse, left for the day for work, and returned in the evening to find the birdhouse demolished. Thinking they hadn't set it up correctly, they bought a new one and set it out the next morning. Rinse and repeat for over a week. Finally fed up with whatever could be doing it, they suspected vandalism and decided to stay home one day hoping to catch the culprit in the act. They set up one last bird feeder and spent the day lounging around the house, but nothing happened. Finally, as dusk settled and they prepared dinner, the husband heard a noise coming from the backyard. Grabbing flashlights, the two of them ran outside to confront whoever was destroying the birdhouse. What they described was what confused the police, both the husband and the wife claimed to have seen what resembled a bear standing on two legs ripping the birdhouse apart with its front paws. When they turned on their flashlights and directed the beams at the creature, it turned and lumbered away still on two legs before disappearing into the woods. Things to keep in mind, bear paws don't have the dexterity to pick up and rip apart a birdhouse, and they certainly can't actually run away on two at most they can only take a few steps before dropping back to all fours, as their legs are too stumpy to allow them to reach a substantial speed. And it didn't gallop in the way bears usually move, the couple described its movements as a lumbering walk more akin to when a monkey walks on two legs. Police investigated the area with canines but were unable to turn up anything. The couple didn't report any further vandalism. July 2007, we were visiting the cousins again. Nothing much happened over the two weeks we were there except for one instance. Sam and Mike were walking down to a lake, more like an overly large pond, near the house one afternoon when they heard what sounded like a bear moving through the foliage to their side. The two of them were on the dirt road, so they turned to see if they could make out whatever it was making the noise. They both claimed to have seen something tall large, and incredibly shaggy in the distance lumbering off into the shadows. Needless to say, they turned around and came straight back to the house. Nothing else happened that year. July 2008, the whole family sans Kurt was visiting us in California for two weeks. Kurt stayed home because he couldn't get any off time from his job. He'd been home alone before, with just Magic and DJ for company and being both a police officer and a seasoned hunter, he was not scared of being alone. However, one day he calls us to talk about an incident that had occurred the night before. When he spoke, his voice actually shook a bit. I don't think he'd cried or anything, but he was certainly shaken. Apparently, around 11 at night, right as Kurt was about to go to bed, DJ and Magic started barking like crazy, staring out the side window towards the backyard with their tails up and hair raised. Normally, 
they only get like that when they scent bears or other predators while hunting, and are otherwise very calm and quiet. When Kurt approached the sliding doors to try and see what could have been making them so agitated, they fell quiet except for whining very quietly, their tails tucking tightly between their legs. Kurt told us he heard what sounded to be something incredibly large moving around right outside the fence, but the house had no exterior lights that pointed in that direction so he couldn't see anything. The dogs refused to budge from their position, so he moved to close the curtains just in case something moved into their sight and set them off again. Right as he did so, he said he heard a noise he could only describe as horrific. A deep, brassy growl with a screech overlaying it, just like Rob had heard so many years ago that night he'd snuck out. This time, however, it sounded as if the creature was just outside the fence, hidden by the shadows. Kurt proceeded to lock every single window and door, switch on every light in the house, and then take both dogs into the master bathroom, the only room in the house with no windows, and lock the door, staying there until morning. Luckily nothing else happened that summer. It's been many years since then and unfortunately I have not kept in close contact with my cousins. Rob moved out sometime around 2011 when he enrolled in college and hasn't been home since. Sam joined the Marines in 2012 and hasn't been home either. Claire hasn't been in contact with me and Aunt Kelly had a sort of falling out with my mom, so they haven't been speaking either. I don't know if anything else has happened over these past few years, and this little local legend seems to be low-key enough that googling anything about it doesn't yield many results. So, again, I'm not a believer in aliens or Bigfoot or ghosts or anything else, really. I don't want to say I'm a skeptic, I like to keep an open mind, but I haven't seen much to give me definitive proof either. These encounters have been the closest I've come to anything of the sort, and I'm still not quite sure what to think. I'm just glad to have written this all down somewhere. I would like to make it clear that this encounter was not with a Yinaldlishi. However, it involves an indigenous medicine man who claimed to shapeshift into an animal. I share this story in this subreddit in case readers are interested in skinwalker-adjacent activities outside of the Navajo Nation, but if this is not the right place I understand as I do not wish to disrespect the Dine culture. When I was living in Mexico in the mid-2000s, I was enrolled in a beginner's Reiki workshop. I was a teenager then, very curious about spiritual practices but also very naive. After one of our sessions, the instructor told me that a native medicine man, who was also a Nawal, shapeshifter, was going to host an event in our city. I begged my mom to take me to meet this man, and she agreed. We arrived to the hotel where the event was taking place, where I was introduced to this man, who called himself Night Jaguar. He was a very normal looking man who appeared to be in his early 50s, and he was very friendly and easy to talk to. I don't remember much of our conversation, but it involved mentioning places where medicine people and witches would gather for ceremonies. Before the conversation ended, he asked if I could provide him with my home address. In my naivete, I gave him my address, and he provided me with his email, so we could keep in touch. I was thrilled with the idea of communicating and possibly learning from a Nawal. Medicine man, but I never heard from him again. 
It seemed like that was the end of it, until weeks later my dad storms into my room and tells me that he forbids me from talking to that damn Nawal again. At this point I had given up on hearing from Night Jaguar, and I didn't understand why my dad would think we had been keeping in touch when we have not. I replied with okay, while wondering what was that all about. A long time had gone by when my dad told me what had led to his imposed moratorium on contacting Night Jaguar. One night, shortly after meeting Night Jaguar and giving him my address, my dad woke up from a deep sleep, feeling quite disturbed. In his own words, he felt as if there was a large and dangerous animal in his bedroom. One thing to know about my dad is that he has a keen sixth sense, he can see and feel energies around him, and although he couldn't see what was in the bedroom, he could feel that it was just observing, but more disturbingly, the energy was especially interested in my mom, who was asleep next to my dad. Being unable to go back to sleep, my dad just got up, and told whatever was there that he could feel it and that he knew what it was up to. The activity did not escalate, and left soon after. Since my dad knew about my meeting with Night Jaguar, he deduced that the Nawal was the source of the energy in the bedroom. Fortunately, that energy did not return after that night. After my dad shared about his encounter, I felt immense guilt, as I placed my family in potential danger by foolishly giving our address to a complete stranger, Nawal or not. My family was lucky that the Nawal left us alone after that, I have read and heard about what kind of harm a witch and, or a Nawal is capable of inflicting to families for a long period of time. Some people in Mexico believe that shapeshifters can be good or evil, but after my family's encounter, I am weary of trusting anyone who claims to be capable of shape-shifting into an animal. If they are anything like Yinaldlashi, I wish to stay far away from them. If you made it to the end of the story, thank you for your time. I have been wanting to share this story for a while now. If you have any questions about this encounter, feel free to ask. About two years ago my younger brother passed away and I've had weird things happen since, like I've had a magpie follow me home and stand about a foot away from me. But the one thing that really stood out is, I was on my way home after going out to get new art supplies. And I was sat on a bus that I usually don't get on and there was a little girl and her mother sat on the row behind me, everything was normal until we stopped at a red light and the little girl started saying mammy, mammy there's a ghost. And she was saying the ghost was really kind but out of nowhere she started describing the ghost, and the description was identical to my brother. It doesn't seem that weird but that day when I got home the picture of me and my two brothers that's usually on my desk was face up on the floor, there was no one home and my window was closed. So I'm not sure if this is just a coincidence or paranormal but it's freaking me out a little bit. I'm not sure how to start this as I've never had to write this down, I've only ever spoken to my partner about it. I'll apologize in advance for the length of this, as it spans a few years. Most of my life I've seen things, whether it shadows out the corner of my eye or just as I'm drifting to sleep, or felt the presence of something I can't see. I've been grabbed, shoved and heard whispers. None of that compares to my frequent visitor for several years. Back in 2017, I was 23 years old. 
I had just broken up with a long-term girlfriend, and was in a bit of a bad place mentally. I spent a lot of time alone, and in my own head. This is when the problem started. I was at my workplace at the time, using the urinal. I felt like someone was watching me, like a burning stare. I quickly glanced over my shoulder, and in the gap between the cubicle, I could swear for a brief moment I saw something. It appeared to be some sort of disheveled woman. Just as quickly as I saw it, it disappeared. I chalked this up to sleep deprivation, didn't really think anything of it, so I just cleaned myself up and got back to work. I wish this was the end of it. Throughout the next few weeks, when I was by myself, I never really felt like I was by myself. That's when I caught her. I was sat at my computer one evening, and out the corner of my eye, I saw that same woman, peering at me round the corner of the door. As much as I try to remember, I've never been able to recall her face. I remember dirty grey hair, and somewhat pale skin. But that's it. I froze up, I don't know how long I sat there staring back at her, and I don't remember her leaving. This persisted for years. I saw her at home, I saw her at work, I even swore I saw her in public. She was never in full view, she was always peering round a corner, like she just wanted to observe what I was doing, but peering enough that she wanted me to know that she was there. This changed one fateful night in 2019. The night my mother fell unwell and had to be rushed to hospital. I woke up feeling that something was wrong, I couldn't put my finger on what was up. Suddenly I hear from the hall my mother's door burst open, and she's calling to me. She's passed out on her floor, semi-conscious and breathing heavily. After helping her up, I called an ambulance for her, and sat with her. She asked me not to leave her as she felt in danger, I didn't leave her side until the paramedics arrived. Eventually they came, agreed that my mother needed to go to hospital, and I said I'll follow in my car. I ran back upstairs to get changed as I had just thrown on some comfy clothes, and that's when I saw her. I rounded the corner of my bedroom, and in full view on the other side of the room was this thing. It was stood, in full view. I still cannot recall its face, just the grey hair and pale skin. I've never felt such dread. I kept my eyes locked on it as I grabbed clothes from my floor I was wearing the previous day, and just backed out of the room while keeping my gaze locked on it. I was half expecting something like out of a horror movie, for it to just start sprinting at me, with its arms outstretched. But nothing. It just stayed where it was. Even when I was walking downstairs from where my room was in full view, it was still stood there. When I came back home, it was gone. I slept downstairs for weeks. From that point I still saw it peering around the corner a lot, but never in full view like before. I eventually moved out in 2021. Since then I've had no more experiences with either that thing peering round the corner, or anything else. I have nightmares about it occasionally, but nothing else.